0: Welcome to Make It Count, proudly presented by Bendigo Bank,
1: the podcast that's here to help with family finance. I'm Kate. And I'm Mandy, and we are from Two ps in a Podcast. Join us as we share our real experiences and get helpful tips from experts along the
0: way. As always, this episode contains general information only and doesn't take into account your personal objectives, financial situation or needs. Hello and welcome to another episode of Make It Count. On today's episode, we spoke with David Robertson
1: and Amanda Morris. David is Head of Economics. I mean, wow. And Market Research at Bendigo Bank. And Amanda is a home loan expert, a mobile lender in New South Wales, and mum of four and three stepkids. She was our person. She really
0: was. (laughs) (laughs) I love the fact that when she chatted, she just said, This is what you should do. Also, sometimes you can't because the kids just get in the way. Yeah, she was awesome. (laughs) You've forgotten to make a lunch. She really enabled us to be honest and vulnerable about our finances. This week we talked about something that I think is really important. Yeah. All the financial mumbo-jumbo that we need to consider as our families are growing. And I'll admit sometimes I've ignored that because I don't understand it. Yeah. Well- We call them growing pains for a reason because uh, not just the children growing, but our houses, our cars, and definitely our finances. They're the challenges that we face as parents and as our families and living situations evolve, something you and I
1: are very familiar with. Yes, there's so much to keep track of, Kate. That's why we were lucky. Too much. To have this opportunity to chat with David and Amanda. I mean, personally thrilled. Both were able to provide some awesome advice on family costs and budget considerations, all the things that come with a growing family. Mm. And I think it also helped with understanding how much impact Mm. there'd been from COVID on the economy. I mean, it's our whole lives. It is our whole lives. Knowing these things just makes it a little easier to make financial decisions that are right for our families. Yeah,
0: so true because yeah. I think I felt guilty during COVID yeah. with not having as much money. Yeah. And I think it just brought some peace of mind to know that despite COVID and the impact that it's had, we should have confidence in the resilience of the Australian economy. Yes. And I had okay, I'd never thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, it's a huge part of my life. So I found that really reassuring with David. He was like you know, I love statistics and I'm going to tell you what they mean and, yeah, it was really comforting. Yeah. And he really unpacked some of the big questions that we had when it came to interest rates and the housing market. I think it's really valuable and really important insight to have, especially
1: after everything we've experienced in the pandemic. it's true, Kate. It was a great chat with David and Amanda that left us with some more clarity on interest rates and all the bits and pieces that can impact family life, especially since the dreaded COVID. Well, do you know what, Mandy? Mm -hmm. I think it's time to jump into the episode
0: and hear from David Robertson, Head of Economics and Market Research at Bendigo Bank, and the beautiful home loan expert, Amanda
1: Morris. Welcome to Make It Count, Amanda. Thanks for having me, ladies. How are you? We're good, thank you. We're really
0: excited to talk to you. What do you think are some key milestones that change your financial outlook as your family grows? For example, if you need to upsize your home or get a bigger car.
2: Yeah. So look, I think what you've just mentioned, upgrading your cars, buying a home, definitely having more children Mm. (laughs) is also one (laughs) to take into consideration. And I don't think many people realize that, but- When I was pregnant with my third child, I actually realized we needed a bigger car. So our car seats could not fit in the back of our car. We had to go shopping for a new car and you had to buy, you know, the family car or the big bus or whatever you want to call it. So that was definitely, you know, a life changer for me. But also, yeah, things like, you know, do you need an extra bedroom in your house, buying a bigger house, all those sorts of things kind of come into it. So it's not just a let's just have another baby and then there's a whole lot to consider, I suppose. Yeah,
1: Kate and I both had twins. (gasps) Kate had hers number four and five. I had mine number one and two. Yeah. So we know about unexpected expenses (laughs) because twin prams cost more. We had to buy two car seats. We had to have two cots or you name it. Yeah. Millions of nappies, lots of (laughs) you know, new bras for our big boobs, (laughs) all that stuff. So, you know, a lot of people probably aren't financially prepared for things like that.
0: So, what advice would you give to people maybe who
2: haven't had children yet? Oh, goodness me. Take it one day at a time. And look, there's no one rule that's going to suit everybody. So, everybody just needs to literally get through the day, um, I think. So, whatever works for you and your family. Look, and sometimes children are surprises. I'll definitely say, I won't tell you which one of mine was a surprise. (laughs) (laughs) They'll be like, "Mom, who was it? But they do, they do (laughs) pop up. So, you know, I think you've just got to sit down and, you know, take it day by day. And if you've got a plan, great. But I think Mm. that, look, going back to your basics, like doing your budget and look, everybody hates budgets, right? It's just like, Mm. whatever. And we all hate doing them, but I think it's a really good starting point just to know where your baseline is and you know what's Coming up, what you've got to spend, all those sorts of things. So yeah, look, just a little bit of common sense, I think, too. Sometimes, like we all want nice, big, fancy things and brand new this and brand new that. But if you can, there's a lot of secondhand things, marketplace and all that is great. Yeah. For it you've got neighbours, you've got relatives, and a lot of what we call hand me downs. They're still in perfectly good conditions. That's right. right yeah. And babies don't know. Babies don't <laughs> okay, care, like, and yeah. they grow out of things so quickly. <laughs> You know, you buy all these little cute shoes and cute clothes and, like, they might wear them once and then that's it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, you yeah, sitting, They sit true. in the cupboard then and you just look at them and go, oh, that was so little. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, look at little things really, that you really can share true. around, share them around. If you can store them in your cupboard if you're planning on having a second one, certainly do that. Again, sucks if you've already got a girl and you have a boy, you know, but there is things that... <laughs> gender you know, neutral clothes. exactly, yes. Exactly right. Yes. And when you're buying gifts for people, gender neutral so that they can pass them on as well. <laughs>
0: so, yeah. Totally. Yep, so true. Now, this is a question that I think every parent and definitely mother wants to know. How should we juggle work, family, life and finances all at the same time. Goodness me. So I think finances sometimes we put at the bottom, but actually it has a really big impact on our Huge. lives.
2: Yeah. And look, finances is the last thing that we think about because, like I said, we are trying to get through the day. And, you know, you're up early, you're getting the kids ready, breakfast, getting yourself ready, dashing out the door, you know, dropping them off to daycare or to mum and dad's house if you're lucky enough to have that support close by. You work all day, come back, you know, there's dinner, bath, and bed. So it's just, you know, it's a whirlwind of a day. And the last thing you, you sit down and you think about is, oh, should I compare my insurances? <laughs> like, you know, yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> little things. And if you've got time to do that, it does save you money. And it's mm. quite funny because it's a whole thing to the insurance world, but basically they go around in cycles. So, you know, if your insurance company is insuring 80% of your suburb for your car, you're going to have really high premiums. But if you find a company that you know, wants to win business, you'll find that your insurance premiums are quite low. Right. It does take time, but comparing them, you know, could save you a couple hundred bucks a year, which right. you can use. Yeah. Which is a lot of money. It is a lot of money, you know, and you add that up. Get pizza instead of cooking. You really yeah. can. Or you can go away for the weekend or yes. just simple things like going out on a Sunday and buying everybody ice creams, you know, like they're five yeah. bucks a pop these days. So Yes, you know, that's right. Yeah, it really does all add up. So, look, I think if you can, and if you've got time and you've got the brain power for it, definitely sit down and have a look at those types of things. Again, go back to your budget. If you don't use budgets, you should have an understanding of where your money's going and what you're doing with it. You know, your situation is different to mine. So you might be a baker, you might be a spender, your time might not allow you to spend an hour in the kitchen every night to cook meals. So it really depends on your own family situation. But, you know, saving money, of course, if you can cook, it's always going to be cheaper because you're buying all your stuff in bulk. So instead of buying the kids school snacks, you can make them. And if your kids are old enough, you could get them involved as well. Like I find that that's a really good family time Mm -hmm. just to get the kids in the kitchen. They make a bunch of mess. (laughs) You get to clean it up. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, they've got muffins for school, afternoon tea and things like that. Mm -hmm. And it is cheaper than going out and buying muffins from the shop. So, again, you might not have time to do that. So it it really just comes down to you and, and your family and how you kind of can spend your money really. Well, you've sort of said a little bit of this, but I know lots of my friends and both Kate and I have
1: had times where we needed to be home to care for our children. Mm -hmm. And what do you need to consider if you have to rely on one income or perhaps if you have one full-time wage and one part-time?
2: Yeah, and that's really tricky, especially if you've got, or even if you're renting or if you've got a home loan, and then you're having another child, you're going to drop back to one income, certainly for some period of time, because you will get mat leave. Yep. But the, you know, that's not going to last forever. And it's not a lot usually no. compared to your normal wage. So mm. again, I think it's just about tightening those purse strings a little bit. We all have to live and we still, you know, every now and then do need to buy takeaway and go out for lunch. Birthdays or presents and, you know, there's lots of those things. Yeah, Yeah. that's right. So again, don't go out and and buy brand name clothes. You might have to duck into Kmart or something like that. And again, go back to cooking things because it's often cheaper. And just really thinking about, do I need to buy my lunch today? Can I take my lunch? Things Mm -hmm. like that. And I think that's you know, having family around, a lot of people don't have that support. But I tell you, it's a lifesaver. My mum watched my kids when they were little while I was back at work. So I was quite blessed to have that support. But I know a lot of my friends didn't have that. So no, they've no. got to pay childcare. And yeah, yeah
0: it's huge. It is huge. Mm-hmm. So a uh, really big question that we actually get a little bit on our podcast and we're going to talk to about all our listeners today. If you decide to separate from your life partner, like there's huge impacts from that, but what's involved with taking over the mortgage as a single person?
2: Mm, Good question. Something that I've been through and my partner's been through. So we're now a blended family. Yeah, so we've both been through this situation. It's challenging. So you have to be able to afford the whole loan repayments on your own. And Mm -hmm. you do need to speak to a solicitor because there's a process involved that involves going to court having your family orders made up, removing one partner from the title. Right. And normally there's a cost to do that, but if you get your family orders done, then the courts waive that cost to remove the person. And then, of course, the bank has to approve you on your own and your own income to be able to afford the mortgage. So, again, quite tricky, especially if you're used to having two incomes, dropping back to one income, and you've got, yeah. you know, the hassles of what life brings you with a separation as well. So... It can be quite Mm. daunting, but definitely just reach out to somebody that's in that field. So your solicitor or your bank just to get the true information because I'm guilty of it as well. I kind of talk to a lot of people about a lot of different things, but I might not have the most accurate or up-to-date information. So it's important that you're really getting the right information, I suppose, before you jump ahead and do anything Mm, and just mm. yeah, juggle your numbers and see if you can come up with it because it might mean that you have to sell the family home. You might have to rent Mm. or perhaps you can buy a smaller home or a cheaper home. So I think there's always options, but There's a lot going on in your head at that moment. So it's really hard. So you need to just, you know, sit down and just think about what it is you want to do. And of course, that then leads to a whole new world of, okay, if we have to move, can we stay in the same suburb? Do we have to move away? you know, schools and family support. So it's just a tricky question, that one. What is it like out there in the moment trying to
1: get a mortgage or trying to add to your mortgage? Because it's a different world these days. Yeah,
2: so we've had a lot of tighter restrictions in the last couple of years, which, Mm. yeah, it has impacted. And again, with all of this COVID lockdowns and that, it has also impacted people's borrowing capacity because perhaps one partner... Is off work at the moment. So that's going to have an impact as well. But generally speaking, look, I would say for me, what I like to do is just do some scenarios first. So, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't like to get everybody's information and, and, you know, put the application through and then do a credit check if it's not going to go through. So, For me personally, I just like to get their income information, what's their assets and and their debts like, and then I'll just run some scenarios for them and then present that to them and then they can have the choice on which way they want to go. And I often Mm. find that that's better for the customers and it's better for me as well. So that's kind of my approach is just Mm. to talk to people and and just get a feel for, and don't just go to one lender, like you might've been with the same bank for 20 years, but There's so Mm. many out there and we've all got different policies. We've all got different ways of calculating income and borrowing capacity. So definitely take the time and have a chat to a couple of people. Mm. Advice.
0: What are some things that people forget to think about when it comes to finances and our growing families? And how can we all be better prepared?
2: Good question. Look, I think... We don't think about the little things. So, you know, if we're moving into a bigger house, we need to think about our higher electricity bills. Maybe we're using more water now. Our insurances are probably going to be higher for our home and contents as well. Same for our cars. Sometimes the insurance could go down because if you've got an older car and then you're buying a newer car, it could be cheaper, which is great, fantastic. Yeah. But yeah. you've also got to think if you're getting a bigger car, perhaps you've got bigger tires, which are going to cost more. Yes. That <laughs> happened to me, actually. And I was like, what? <laughs> I know. No, yeah, it never occurred to me. So, you know, Rego mm. is always going to cost you a couple of grand each year. And it's, they're the little things that, because you're not paying them monthly, like your phone bill, they just kind of sometimes creep up on you. So I've got a couple of families that like to set up a few accounts and they'll each pay from their pay each week or fortnight. They'll actually pop money aside into like their bills account so mm. that when those things come up, like even your roadside assistance, you know, that's like 120 odd bucks a year. Yes, And you literally get an email saying, hey, this is due next week. And you go, oh, yes. you know can't find yes. it. So, you know, maybe you start to put some money aside each pay so that you don't get mm. stuck with that big lump sum mm. and things like your electricity, like electricity bills are huge. So maybe you can pay those off every fortnight. I know that a lot of places let you do that. Just the little things I think we don't think about from a lending point of view, when you go for a loan, one of our requirements now is to look at your bank statements. So we'll have a look over the last month or two, your spending habits and people get quite surprised about how much they actually spend. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's it's not a funny conversation, but it really is because they're like, "No, I don't spend that much," and I'm like, "I don't spend sixty dollars at the IGA." <laughs> yes, yeah. so I do. You do <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. just the little things that they just go, "Oh my goodness!" You put it in front of them, and they're just like, "Wow, I didn't realize I was spending," and a lot of it is just on crap. So, yeah. It's, yeah. Yep. It's having that conversation, and look if. You know, you're okay with that. That's fine. But if you're trying to put yourself in a position where you're wanting to buy your first home or your next home, that's just something to be mindful of your spending habits and what can you Mm. kind of tighten up in the interim, I suppose, just to help you out. Yeah.
1: Well, thank you. Do you think there's anything we've missed really important for our listeners to hear today? Any
2: last minute wisdom from you? Oh, goodness. I don't know about wisdom. <laughs> I think most people are like me. We just try and get by each and every day. We're busy. We've got kids and we've got work and we've got our dogs running around that we could look after as mm. well. Add that into housework finances are the last thing that you think about. And look, I get it. I've been in this industry for more than a decade and I still am hopeless sometimes at trying to remember, you know, about me and about what we do. So it's really just, look, do what you can, If you think that you want to save for something, like, you know, my kids will want a car or a new PlayStation game or something, it's really just about, okay, well, that's your goal. So you need to focus on that Mm -hmm. goal. And it's the same as your home loan. You know, a lot of us these days now need thousands of dollars for a deposit. So make that your goal and stick to it. You know, if Mm. you say, well, we're only going to have takeout once this week, stick to it and put posters up, put sticky notes on your fridge or back of your bedroom door and note how much have you got left to go, whatever it is that motivates you. Have your goal and and focus on that until you get it. And then look, you can have a breather and then you can say, okay, well, we want to go on holiday now. So, you know, let's do the same thing. Just the best thing is have a goal in mind and just work on reaching Mm -hmm. that goal
0: even if they're baby steps.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Amanda. It was wonderful yes. to hear from you Thank today. Thank you
0: so much, Amanda. Thank you for being with us on Make It Count.
2: My pleasure. Thanks, Kate and Mandy. Bye.
0: We're chatting with David Robertson. David is the Head of Economics and Market Research at Bendigo Bank.
1: Wow, David is an economist who can help us make sense of interest rates, the property market and the economic recovery from COVID-19. Wow, that's a lot of things he's going to make sense of. David, we need you. <laughs> Thanks, Kate. Thanks, Mandy. Great to be with you. Yes, well, welcome to Make It Count. We're thrilled to have you. Real pleasure to be with you. So, David, can you just tell us a little bit about the outlook for interest rates and what does this mean for families upsizing due to work or school?
3: I better put it on the table first. The bad news is that interest rates really only have one direction to go and that's up.
1: Yeah. And that's
3: because they're at rock bottom. I suppose the good news is they've never been this low. No, the Reserve Bank have done their job. They've set official rates as low as they could go without being negative and that world of negative interest rates, there's a whole other topic. I don't think we want to go there. But, <laughs> but the good news is, whilst they'll eventually go up, they should stay down at these sort of rock bottom rates for at least another year. Some people are saying for another two or three years. Wow.
1: Right. Yeah,
3: depending on who you believe. I'd make the assumption that we've got rates where they are for probably 18 months. And the other good news is, when they do go up, they probably won't go up too far. I'd estimate about 1% when they do start to rise, and that might be 2023. So we've got a bit of time. Yeah. I suppose the other piece of good news is that you can actually do something about it. If you're worried about higher interest rates, you can take out a fixed rate. And maybe it's at this stage, can I throw in my comments? Are of a general nature and don't take into account your personal circumstances. But yeah, the fact that rates are so low, it's been really helpful to get through the pandemic. It's been such a challenge for everyone. But unfortunately, this is low as, as rates can go. So, yeah, they'll go up. That won't be for a while. They'll probably go up pretty gradually and you can go in eyes wide open and at least consider a fixed rate loan or in budgeting you can consider, all right, well, how would I cope if rates were 1% higher than they yes. are today? Mm.
1: We are teenagers of the 90s, so, yes, so we, we remember, remember our parents, you know, in that 17, 18, wasn't it? 19%.
0: Yes. 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 Terrible. Yeah. <laughs> it was just, yeah, actually when I bought my first house, our interest rates were 19%. Yeah. And I remember over about five years our mortgage repayments halving. But yes. that was just as interest rates came down. Yeah. So yeah, it was couldn't even imagine an interest rate of one no. no. percent. <laughs> um, well I'm the same. My
3: first ever home loan was, I think, at 18%. So that was great. Mm. Thanks very much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, it's gradually got better over the decades. It really has. So
0: if you're thinking about expanding your house, you're like, well, due to COVID-19, we've all spent a lot of time in the house. We now know what doesn't work in this house. Do you think it's safe to sort of top up your mortgage a bit and then lock that interest rate in or just go with the flow?
3: It's hard to imagine a situation where locking in your rate won't be in your interests. In interest. Mm. Right now, the fixed rates are pretty similar to the variable rates. Some are even cheaper. And mm. the reason I don't think there's a lot of downside, and I've given my disclaimer, is because the Reserve Bank have said they don't want to go to negative interest rates, so they're not going to cut any more. They're down at 0.1. So what's your downside in locking in if actually rates stay here for five years? Well, still nothing because it doesn't look like they can go any lower. So, yeah, it's it's at least worth considering. Mm.
0: I was thinking like anecdotally in my not very vast knowledge of anything <laughs> – are we seeing trends in our beautiful country of Australia in that families are moving more to the regional areas or leaving the big cities like Sydney and Melbourne for interstate? Because I feel like we all know people that oh, have done that totally. over the last 18 months.
3: For sure. And and anecdotally, we're seeing a lot of that. Well, I'm seeing it through friends and contacts and so on. We're certainly seeing it through the bank. Mm. but. Actually, if you look at the official numbers, I have to confess I'm a big fan of the Australian Bureau of Statistics. What a wonderful website they've got. No. Just a goldmine of rich data. <laughs> anyway, the, no. their website just updated last week with the population numbers only went up 0.1% last year. Yeah. So that's the lowest since 1916. Wow. Uh, but regional population growth has been picking up, so it's running against the trend. And it was 1.1% last year, but to get more up-to-date numbers. Actually, we'll get the census soon. That'll be even more accurate. I was just looking the other day at the Regional Australia Institute and they put out quarterly numbers and that showed an 11% rise for the June quarter for the number of people moving from capital cities to regions compared to a year before. So yeah, a lot of people are moving just for the space and freedom of regional Australia. Some are testing their luck interstate Maybe they're escaping a COVID lockdown.
1: <laughs> yep. Don't blame them. Yeah, no, exactly. Don't blame him at all.
3: <laughs> this whole move to the regions, it looks like it's a trend that's going to set in and and we're certainly seeing that with demand for regional houses and the prices mm. of them is going yes. up accordingly.
1: There's mm. been lots of discussion about that, hasn't there? Yeah. Because it used to be so affordable. Yes. well, And
3: that's exactly it. So housing affordability, it's really been moving the wrong direction and mm. one way to cope with that is to go where they're a little more affordable. But the other thing is with working from home and everything, you know, I think we've all sort of tested or a lot of people have tested the technology. All of a sudden they were told, oh, by the way, don't come in, just work from home. (laughs) For 18 months. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And who would have thought we'd all be, you know, using Zoom and Teams and all this other technology. And and guess what? It all worked. I think that's placed more value on, well, it's sort of prioritised space over location. You don't have to live Mm. near a crowded CBD to run a small business or to work or, you know, you get the uh, quality of life. Mm. Yeah.
1: What do you think might be the long-term impact on family living from this pandemic? What can you see or what do you see? Mm.
3: Well, look, you know, we're just talking about working from home. And again, one of the reasons I think property prices are up 20% in some cities are up 22% in regional Australia. But yeah, the pandemic. The, the typical family now would probably have one or two people working from home. Maybe you yeah. had homeschooling for the kids. That's a lot. <laughs> it's great fun. <laughs> There's certainly been less opportunity for holidays. Yes. If you've got a dog, it's probably never had it so good, two long walks a day. So yeah.
1: I think you're describing my family. <laughs> but, yeah.
3: And not everyone's in lockdown. I mean, I think it's 60-40 at the moment, New South Wales, Victoria ACT. But, yeah. but I think living through a pandemic has shifted our priorities, I think, we're probably placing greater value on the size of the backyard or maybe just proximity to open spaces. And so that's one of the reasons that prices for detached dwellings or standalone houses Mm, has been mm. jumping, whereas high-rise apartments hasn't been going up that much at all. So I think Mm. that sort of flows through to family living. It's We're valuing more space Mm. and we're dealing with the reality of working from home. I think before the pandemic, it was something like 5 7% of people Working from home as a result of the pandemic, it went up to about 40%. So, Mm. where's it going to settle? I mean, it might. Sort of come back to 20%. But I know from my point of view, all all the people in our family, we're we're used to it now. So,
0: yes, definitely. We might end up
3: only going into work twice a week.
0: Yes. Yes. I think it will really change. And apart from my podcast job, I'm also a real estate stylist. So, we've really noticed that people want desks in every bedroom when we're styling the house. And we never have done that. Right. And also, when people are buying, they really want to know that there is space to work from home. Whereas Even two years ago, we didn't even want studies because everyone just had a laptop, but now it's really changed the way we've lived. Mm.
3: Officeworks has never had it so good either.
0: Oh, (laughs) we need to buy shares in that place. (laughs) Who would have known? (laughs) Uh, Are there now or is there coming any regulatory changes that may actually change lending for families?
3: Look, there might be. It, It depends a bit on a few things we, we saw some regulatory changes back in 2015 when investors were really crowding out first homeowners and you know owner-occupiers, mum and dad, yeah. borrowers. Mm. It's actually been really good in the last 18 months. We've seen huge pickup in first homeowners. There've been great state government concessions to help them into the market. Things like the home builder scheme were terrific, but investors were on the sidelines really. But now 18 months on, prices are sky high. Investors are sort of coming back into the market. So I think the regulator is looking at it, how they do it. I think it'll be different to 2015. They might more be looking at sort of high leverage loans. They might be considering it that given housing affordability has gone in the wrong direction, need to make sure that there aren't risks around people taking out unaffordable loans. In other words, the loan's got to be a two-way street. It's got to work for everyone. You don't want borrowers getting overcommitted. So that might be where some regulation comes in, but I'm not sure we need it. I mean, the markets are rebalancing, as we were just talking about. Inner city struggled, regional and suburban fringes have become really popular. So in a way, the market's adjusted that way. So it's viable to live in less crowded locations. So that doesn't need regulatory change. It just needs a bigger supply of Livable houses, livable cities with room to move,
1: schools, yeah,
3: Yeah.
0: all that stuff. So, just a tiny question: when you say high leverage loan, what does that mean?
3: (laughs) Sorry, don't throw that. Just imagine you're talking to two two
0: people people that have no idea, (laughs) because you are.
3: (laughs) Basically, when you look at a home loan or any loan, really, there's the amount you put in, and then there's the value of the property. So, I'll talk about a million-dollar home just because it's easy to work it out. If you stump up two hundred thousand then you've got 20% equity, you borrow 800,000, so it's 2080. So that's called an 80% leverage or 80% loan to valuation ratio. And if it goes much over 80, it gets difficult. A, you've got to make sure that it's affordable and that you can Mm. cope with interest rate arises, or if the value of the property drops. And so that's why the regulator might be looking at the rules around, well, do there need to be an additional rule, say, for loan to valuation ratios above eighty percent or ninety or ninety five or wherever. It's all about how much skin you got in the game.
1: Yep. We are going to do an extension next year just because of everything that's happened and we've had to go back to the bank and refinance and it's taken a lot longer than it used to. Is it, have you seen a change in that just because demand?
3: There is a lot of demand coming through. And so, you know, I think that comes back to just how hot the market is. Mm. A couple of years ago, there was obviously the well documented inquiry into the financial system and so on. And that did come with some, if you like, tightening in lending standards. Yes. Which is one way of just saying it probably takes a bit longer to get a home loan through, but. uh, Yes, that's
1: how it feels. I know from our side,
3: we're doing our best to rush them through as quickly as we can.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Thanks.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Just before we let you go, is there anything that you would like to tell our listeners today or anything that we haven't asked you that you think is important?
3: The main thing I'd say is, and it was such a shock last year to have our first recession in 29 years, Australia has been mm. such a resilient economy. But the thing that's really impressed me is how resilient we've come out of a recession. Unfortunately, we're having a bit of a double dip at the moment because of the Delta variant. We had a, a capital V recovery, and now we're having a little lower case V, I think. But you know, I, th- I think that we should still have some confidence about the ongoing resilience of the economy. So glass half full, that's my approach. It's going to be bumpy, it's going to be uneven and and challenging, but the Australian economy, I I can't imagine a country that I would rather be in to deal with a pandemic. Yes, that's very
0: true. Yes. David. And, you know, if your glass is half full and it gets bumpy, it doesn't spill, so it's (laughs) all (laughs) right.
1: That's a great end to encourage all our listeners, so thank you, David. Thanks for your time today. Pleasure. Thanks for having us. Oh, Kate, I really loved this chat with David and Amanda. It's clear that we're all in a similar boat when it comes to considering all struggles and challenges, which comes with a growing family. It's
0: really true, Mandy. And it's also okay to not know everything yeah, about it. We don't. But learning from David and Amanda has definitely opened up my eyes and made me realize it's okay to go and ask an expert for help. I actually am going to get more financial advice in the future. And yeah. I'm going to think about me. Yeah. And what I need going forward and how much superannuation do I need because – That actually impacts
1: not just me but my children as they grow up. And I'm going to teach my girls about that. the the things that they start to do now with their money actually makes a difference when, you know, like a credit rating Mm. or, you know, so when they do go for a loan, that some of the decisions like after pay and some of those things that are creeping into their lives now actually might be on
0: their record. Mm. And the fact that they too can go and get financial advice. They, look, genuinely shouldn't listen to me. No.
2: (laughs) I Nor mean, now, me. that I, now that
0: I've now that i chatted to experts, I feel like I've got a bit more to but give, Actually, but I do. Yes, I, I really do. I was actually talking to someone else and talking about some of the stuff. I was like, look at me. Oh, I didn't no. say I'm actually doing a podcast with Bendigo to go back. <laughs> I know, it's awesome. <laughs> but they gave me a lot of confidence, David and Amanda. I felt like, okay, interest rates are going to stay low for a little while. Yes. Maybe I can lock my home loan in. Yep. Maybe I can do something else with my money. I can talk to my children about what interest rates used to be like so they're prepared that when they come to buy a house, they probably won't be this
1: low. That's right. And Amanda was just a lovely breath of fresh air. She was one of us. She really was. She was a woman, (laughs) you know, wrangling it all. Yeah. Seven children didn't
0: make us feel guilty for, okay, sometimes you stuff up the budget one week. Yeah. Just know what you're spending. Next week is going to be super interesting because we're going to take a deep dive into pocket money.
1: Something that made us excited as kids is now an opportunity to learn as a parent. I loved getting pocket money from my grandma as a kid and Gavin Holden, Bendigo Bank State Manager, will be taking us through the age-old debate of (laughs) pocket money. How much do we give our kids? When do we start? All those prickly questions. I can't wait. Me either. Thanks for listening to Make It Count. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe for future episodes. Leave a review letting
0: us know what you enjoyed most. This also helps others find the podcast.
1: This podcast is proudly produced by Bendigo Bank. As always, this episode contains general information only and doesn't take into account your personal objectives, financial situations or needs.